All right, the kids are singing, the bells are ringing. It looks, it sounds like Christmas. Um, I don't know if any of y'all, again, some of you in the service may not even know that we have a bell choir. If any of you have ever rung or this is interesting to you, they meet on Tuesday nights. I know Sam, uh, Sarah would love to have you join them just to let us know and we'll plug you in. Uh, let's pray, we'll get started. Father, grateful as always that you gathered us together to uh, celebrate this season, uh, to hear the sounds, to see the beauty of the decorations and to remember the truth of what this season represents, the waiting, the hoping, the longing, and then of course leading up in a couple weeks to the celebration that we'll have together. So this morning, Father, I pray that, uh, that you would be the author of every word that is heard by people in this room. That regardless of what I say, um, that you would speak directly to every heart, to every mind, that, that we would be here with open ears and eyes and minds and hearts that we could receive it. And that as we prepare to leave this place today, that you would, that you would show the way, that you would show us how everything that happens in this place, in this time, matters in all places and at all times. So Holy Spirit, be present. Reveal it to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So if you were here last week, uh, we talked about hope. If, I mean, if you weren't here last week, we talked about hope. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you were here or not. That's what we talked about. Um, the word hope, uh, it's an interesting word. It means different things to us than it does in scripture. Uh, the word hope describes like this tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. Biblical hope is not a feeling, it's a verb. It's the act of waiting, sitting on the edge of your seat in anticipation from a biblical perspective because you have confidence that the Lord is on the move. That in the midst of the chaos and the tension of this world, the Lord is on the move and one day this world will never be the same. Hope is waiting in expectation for that day. So that's hope. Today we're gonna talk about peace, biblical peace. Again, what we imagine peace and what scripture means are not always the same thing. We're gonna hear a story today uh, that comes after the birth of Jesus. 40 days after his birth, Mary and Joseph take the baby to the temple in Jerusalem and while they're there, they meet a man named Simeon. They meet a woman named Anna. We're gonna hear a song that Simeon sings the moment that he sees the baby Jesus as he holds him in his arms. We're gonna hear the faithfulness of this woman, Anna not only waiting for the Messiah, but just ready and willing to tell everybody she can all about him. So we're gonna talk about the peace that the Christ child has come to establish. But we're gonna see that as he comes to establish his peace, it doesn't come without a cost. There will be a peace without end one day. There'll be a day when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord. But until then, peace, in some ways, just by its very nature, invites a bit of division and chaos. So, let's hear the first part of the story. Uh, you can find this in Luke chapter two, if you'd like to turn there um, and read along with me, or you feel free to just listen. Um, and listen, as you're, as you're doing that, um, like I mentioned in the prayer, I don't know what the Lord has to say to you today. Like, I know what I've prepared. And I'll be totally honest, some of what I prepared today, it's gonna to be kind of challenging. But what I say to all y'all, and what the Lord has to say specifically to you, 
they're not always the same thing. Like there's a mystery to it and I'm learning to accept that. So I just wanna invite you today just to listen, but to listen for his voice and to listen with an expectant, like sitting on the edge of your seat, hope. Because I truly believe that God is on the move and that he has something to say to every single person in this room. We just need to listen. So I'll try to stay out of the way today. We're gonna listen to Luke chapter two. I'm gonna start in verse 21. The story goes like this. It says, eight days later, so this is eight days after his birth, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given to him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. I'm gonna skip to verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people Israel. And Jesus's parents were amazed at what was being said about him. This is the word of the Lord. So this is a story about Jesus and everything surrounding him, but did you notice how involved the Holy Spirit is in this story? As early as the beginning of Luke's gospel, the Holy Spirit has already revealed to Simeon that he would see the Lord's Messiah with his own eyes. The Holy Spirit led Simeon to the temple on the right day at just the right time. The Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that this baby, of all the babies that were brought to the temple that day, this baby was the promised one. The Holy Spirit filled Simeon's mouth with the truth of who Jesus is and what he will do for all people, not only for the people of Israel, but for all the nations. The Holy Spirit spoke, Simeon listened, the Holy Spirit moved, Simeon obeyed. Through the noise, Simeon was paying attention. And Mary and Joseph were too. When they heard what Simeon said, they were amazed, they marveled, they stood in admiration of this prophecy that was being sung over their boy. They recognized it. Now, Simeon's song is called, in Latin, it's called the Nuc Dimittis. Um, it's just the first two words of his song in Latin, now I may depart. That's how Simeon started his song, now I may depart. Basically, now I can die. Simeon's purpose in this life was to see the Lord's Messiah face to face. His purpose had been fulfilled and he was now prepared for the day when his life would come to an end because his hope had been realized. He had found his peace. Now, before we go and read the rest of what Simeon has to say, I wanna take a minute and talk about this word peace because like I mentioned, it probably means something different to us than what it means in scripture. Now, last week I mentioned uh, the Bible Project. They have this Advent devotional uh, reading um, on that YouVersion Bible app that you can use. And they have a video on peace. So I wanna show you this video, watch this. 
The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. So another author, uh, theologian who said, uh, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation and justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. Shalom is simply the way things ought to be. I think that's beautiful. I think that's something certainly worth hoping for, right? Worth sitting on the edge of your seat in anticipation because you're convinced that the Lord is on the move bringing his shalom in the, 
Even in the chaos and the tension of this world, and one day because of God's shalom, the world will never be the same. That's good news, right? You're, you're ready for it, you know what's coming. <laughs> but there's a problem. <laughs> there's always a problem, isn't there? There's a problem. Simeon isn't done singing. He's done singing, but he has more to say to Mary and Joseph. Um, so listen, back to Luke chapter two, verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Okay, that started by saying Simeon blessed them. That word in Greek is the word euolegio. And if you look at it, it probably looks familiar. That's where we get our word eulogy. This is a uniquely painful kind of blessing. He sings this song of hope, but then it's followed by like, I don't know. I mean, that's just, that's just a tough thing to say to a new young mother, isn't it? And we often skip right past this part when we read it in the Christmas story. Oh, that's talking about Easter. We'll get there in a couple months. <laughs> we shouldn't do that. That video did a great job of explaining Shalom, but it didn't get into the pain that Simeon spoke of, and it didn't get into the division that the Prince of Peace is gonna cause until the day when he returns and establishes this perfect Shalom forever. I spent all week trying to think of an illustration uh, for this, and I think the best one, it actually comes from Jesus' parables. A great illustration of this is the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. And we've discussed it here a lot. I'm not gonna read it to you this morning. If you're not familiar with it, you can go and read it for yourself. It's in Luke chapter 15. But in summary, the son, he turns on his father. He wants the father's stuff more than he wants the father. He wants the father's stuff so he can go and live however he wants. Now that doesn't go well. Over time, that son loses himself. Eventually it gets so bad that he does come back to his senses. He returns home. And when he returns home, he is fully received and restored by the father. Restored as a son of the father. What was lost has been found and they celebrate. They celebrate extravagantly because there was shalom. But there was a problem. Because the shalom that was now established between this son and his father, it caused a division between that father and his other son. There was an older brother and he was really upset because his loser brother was just welcomed right back into the family. Not only that, but they threw the party to end all parties in his honor. And when that happened, the older brother took it as a personal offense. And now in this story, the older brother has set himself against the father because he doesn't approve of the father's will. And the father invites the older brother to enjoy the shalom, to be glad that his brother was found, to come and join the party to celebrate. And that's where the story ends. Jesus doesn't tell us what happens next. 
We don't know whether this older brother decided to find shalom also or to sit divided. What we do know is that shalom caused division in this family. And here's why. When my will for my life comes into conflict with the Father's, it introduces a moment of crisis and a decision has to be made. His will or mine? Do you see what I mean? God's shalom, it comes with a cost. Tim Keller says it like this. This is simple, but it's helpful. He says, secular and church celebrations of Christmas focused almost entirely on sweetness and light, how the coming of Christ means peace on earth, and it certainly does, but it's not quite that simple. He says, how does a surgeon bring peace to your body if it has a tumor in it? By cutting you open and causing temporary damage because that's the only path to healing. Or how does a therapist help a patient? Often by bringing up past hurts, causing the patient to be confronted by painful memories and hard feelings. Both the surgeon and the therapist have to make you feel worse before real healing can begin. Y'all, we want the Christ to come and fix everything, but we want him to do it on our schedule. And we'd prefer if he took our advice as to how to get it done. (laughs) That's not how it works. God's will, as it is being made complete, it causes humans who are intent on accomplishing our own will, it causes us to struggle against it. In a broken world, the arrival of peace, the arrival of shalom, God's wholeness, God's shalom by its very nature causes division. Keller continues, he says this, allegiance to Jesus brings conflict both between and within people. Just like any peacemaker who has ever lived, Jesus makes people mad and he often causes struggle and strife. Yet this is the way that peace comes. Listen, scripture is really clear. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection open the door. They pave the road toward the shalom of God that cannot be attained by my will, by building my kingdom, or by performing my own good works. And ultimately, every person who comes into contact with Jesus is forced to make a choice. Every human at one point or another is forced to make a decision. My will, my kingdom, my goodness, or his. Because listen, Jesus is either the way to God or he's not. He is either God incarnate or he's not. You don't get to decide if he is God. You don't get to choose what he is. Whether you believe it or not, he is what he is. You do have to choose whether he's your God if he's the Lord of your life. But church, hear me. If he's the Lord of all of your life, of your family, your career, your finances, your politics, your passions, is he the Lord of all of it? And the result of that decision, like Simeon said, will cause rising or falling, life or death. 
The truth is that this child that we gather to celebrate, he stands at the crossroads of the most important moment in every human life. The moment when that life is either claimed by the self or handed over to God. This is the offensive, exclusive claim of Jesus. It's the claim that brings shalom, but it causes division between and within every human person. That Jesus is the way. He is the only way. And if Jesus is not Lord over all of your life, if he is not your greatest love in this life, you will never find true peace. If Jesus is nothing to you, or if he's just one of many little lords in your life, you will forever be divided, forever be conflicted. You will live in conflict and in chaos. But if he is Lord over all of your life, if he is truly your greatest love, the good news is that all of your other loves, they find their rightful place. They find peace and wholeness because they will be as God intended for them to be as well. Family, career, finances, health, all of it. Listen, in our culture, Man, I prayed over this for a long time. I'm just gonna say it. In our culture, most people in Kingwood, most people in Kingwood would agree with me if they heard me say that my kids are the most important love in my life, that they are my primary responsibility, that they are my reason for existing. Most people in our community would agree with me without batting an eye if they heard me say that. And listen, that sounds very good. I get the sentiment, I do. But it's not true. It's not true because I'm a better father. I will love my kids more completely when I love Jesus first. I'm a better husband when I love Jesus first. That's how I will learn to love her as Christ loves his church. I'm a better pastor when I love Jesus first. And not only in our relationships, when Jesus is Lord over all of our life, when he is our primary love, then we can find the hope and the peace that will sustain us through all the chaos and suffering that we experience. If he's the Lord over all of your life, that means he's the Lord over cancer. He's the Lord over financial difficulties. He's the Lord over unexpected career changes. He's the Lord over marital problems. He's the Lord over loss. We are not promised freedom from suffering or any of those things. We are promised hope and the peace that can carry us through them until the day when things are finally made new. And we're also given a community of people to walk through every one of those events together toward the cross. Now listen, everything I just said to you, that might sound crazy to you. It might sound extreme. Okay, if it does, I just wanna invite you to consider whether or not that's a sign. If what I just said to you sounds crazy, might that be a sign that Jesus is just one of many loves in your life? If what I just said sounds crazy and extreme, might that be a sign that he's actually not the Lord over all of your life? Scripture doesn't invite us to make Jesus one among many lords. We're invited to enthrone him as King of King and, lords of, and Lord of Lords to give it all to him. Simon told us this would be hard. 
This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. A sword to pierce your very soul. Yes, he said that to the mother Mary, but this is God's word. God's word does not return void. He is saying this to you today. Like I said earlier, I don't know what the Lord has to say to you today. But maybe today you're being invited into deeper intimacy with God. Maybe you're being invited into a relationship with him for the first time in your life. What a gift. And listen, that might be a painful revelation, but what a gift. The opportunity to find real peace, real hope, real joy, real love, real life. But we have to tell the whole truth. It comes with a cost. Because following Jesus does not mean simply adding him to your current way of life. It means trading your life for his. And please hear me, I am not saying this over you as somebody who has figured this all out. I am saying this to you as somebody who is listening and who is learning every day how to put Jesus first for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of my kids and my wife and this church. We are just invited into a process of listening, of trusting, of submitting, and of handing life over to him piece by piece. Like this season, as difficult as this may be, this season, maybe the greatest gift you can receive is the revelation that Jesus is just one of many loves in your life. Maybe the greatest gift is the opportunity to reflect on one simple question. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, Is that true in your life? And if not, we are here to tell the truth. If not, then just what is that next piece that you need to submit to him and hand over? So maybe today you're you're like Simeon, you're watching, you're waiting. You have great hope that the Messiah is coming. You're waiting for the moment when you finally see him for who he really is. When you finally look at that cross, you reflect on the empty tomb and you realize that he is the Lord's Messiah and now you can depart in peace because your eyes have seen your savior. Or maybe you've already had your Simeon moment. Maybe you've already come to that conclusion. If that's the case, really quickly, and Andrew, you guys can go ahead and come back up. If that's the case, I wanna quickly introduce you to one more person in the story. If you've already had your Simeon moment, then until the day when you do depart in peace, I want you to listen to what this woman named Anna had to say. Actually, not what she said, what's said about her, but this is in Luke 2, verse 36. Anna was a prophetess, and she was also there in the temple. And she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. You don't have to stay at the church day and night, I promise. God's presence and power go with you. But what did she do? She fasted, she prayed, she waited, she listened, and then she recognized. And when she recognized the Savior, she talked to everybody who was willing to listen.
Y'all, there is always work to do, either in dealing with the division within ourselves or partnering with the Holy Spirit to heal that division within and between others. And again, listen, I don't know what God's saying to you today. I just wanna invite you to make some space in your daily lives and this morning to listen and to find out. So just a minute, we're gonna affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. And I'm gonna ask you to stand in just a minute and I'm gonna ask you to either join in or just listen. And then as we continue to worship and sing, I want you to know that we are here. I want you to know that any Sunday that you can come and pray with us while the service is going on. Anybody in this room right now who's willing for somebody to come and be prayed over, if you're willing to pray over somebody, would you raise your hand? Look around. On any given Sunday, at any moment in the church, everybody with their hand raised is willing for you to come sit with them. They're willing to listen and they're willing to pray. You can turn to one another in the pews and you can pray together. If not this morning, then sometimes during the week, sometime during the season, just let us sit and pray with you. Like we gather, we are here to seek him and his peace and we're here to do it together. Just please know that you are not alone. Remember that you are known, that you are loved, that you are worth dying for. And that he wants to be Lord of your life so that you can find a peace that you can't even comprehend, that you can't even imagine. But he is asking, do you trust me? It's an important question. Do you trust him? Let's pray. Father, as we continue to worship, as we say together what we believe, speak and open our ears so that we can hear. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Y'all stand with me. Let's say this affirmation of faith together. And feel free, if you're not sure, feel free to listen. But Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. If that is true, it's worth every moment of every day of your life, amen?